the book of Ruth, page 267. And this is the chapter one. And we're going to read from verse one to verse five. Good. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of these two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Manon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without the two sons and a husband. Uh, evening, everyone. Great to see you. I'm Michael. If you don't know me, I'm a curate here at Christ Church. And uh, as we come to reflect on that bit of God's word that Martine read, let me lead us in a, a short prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you that you speak to us because you love us. And thank you that everything written in the past was written for our encouragement so that we might have hope. And we pray that would be uh, what you graciously bless us with tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, really exciting to, beginning our, uh, to be beginning our new series in Ruth. Uh, I've loved spending time in this little lovely bit of God's word over the last while. And I hope we'll find it really useful as we uh, look at it together over the next few Sunday evenings. Uh, but tonight, we're just looking at the first five verses of Ruth chapter one on page 267. Do have it open if, uh, if you've closed your Bibles during our song. Now, to be honest, when I discovered I'd be preaching on these verses, I wasn't thrilled. Uh, for a start, I wondered, how am I gonna preach a whole sermon on five verses? Uh, Maybe when Martine finished reading, you wondered, where's the rest? Um, is that it? But it's not just that there aren't many verses here. There's a deeper reason I wasn't thrilled to be preaching on, uh, on this passage. And that's because these verses are so gloomy, so sad, so tragic. And for us to linger on them is uncomfortable. See, as I've reflected on, uh, on these words this week, I realized uh, I don't like sitting with suffering. I don't like sitting with suffering. My, my natural tendency is to want to explain it away or to skip over it um, or just to feel better. I don't like sitting with suffering. But that is what these five verses invite us to do. And so tonight, together, we're just going to sit with suffering. And it is suffering that really happened in history, like verse one says, 
in the days when the judges ruled. That's the dark time before Israel had a king. And in this time, there's a famine. And we know a little bit about food shortages and prices going up, don't we? But if you're living directly off the land, then, and there isn't a Tesco down the road with bread on the shelves, then famine's a matter of life and death. So we zoom in on this family from Bethlehem in Judah who pack up and they move east to the fields of Moab in search of food, in search of life. And uh, this family isn't some faceless bunch. They're real people with real names. Malon, Kilion, Naomi, Elimelech, mum and dad with their boys. And having met them by name, we think we're going to get to know them, spend time with them. But it's not to be, because they get to Moab. And maybe in their heads, they have stories of hope from Israel's past. Like Jacob, um, Jacob's family, who went to a foreign land in famine, and his family flourished there. But this family, though they outrun famine, death finds them. Elimelech dies. We don't know if he died suddenly or if Naomi nursed him as he slowly declined. But Naomi's left without her husband. Funeral number one. She still has her sons, though. And her husband's funeral is followed by their weddings. Maybe, Naomi hopes, there's still a future for our family. But then Malon and Kilion follow their father into death. Funerals two and three. And Naomi's left away from home without her sons, without her husband, everyone she came with and all their hopes gone. And the way our Bibles translate verse 5, it doesn't really get across Naomi's loss. The word sons there is really children, literally the ones she gave birth to. Uh, It's barely ever used for grown adults. But Naomi has to bury the children she bore And we've got Naomi's name in verse 5 too. But actually, she's not named there. She's just the woman now. As if her own identity, her name, falls apart when she loses the relationships that really mattered. And it's not the kind of suffering that's likely to make any headlines. Just a life that's quietly falling apart. A few verses so much tragedy. Now, when people are exploring the Christian faith, naturally questions arise about suffering. How could a good God allow the terrible things that happen in the world? Like Martine prayed, everything seems broken. And Christian believers, we wrestle with similar questions too, personal questions. How can God allow the suffering in my life that I'm going through? And an observation that's often made is the Bible doesn't duck the question of suffering. It faces up to what real life is like with stories like this that don't look away from the deep pain and brokenness of the world. And that is a good thing, is it not? That the Bible faces up to the real tragedies of real life. But this week... I've also found it uncomfortable. Because where the Bible is so upfront about suffering, 
like Naomi's suffering, that it rubs it in your face. I want to push it away. Uh, I look at Naomi's suffering, and I try to find ways to put some distance between me and her. Now, here's an example. I read her story, and I find myself asking, what did she do to deserve this? You know, what did she do wrong that led to her suffering so that I know I'll be fine if I just do the right thing? What did she do to deserve this? Now, it's possible Naomi's family did sin here. In the context of the Old Testament, it might have been wrong for them to leave Judah for Moab. Moab was a bad place. Going there was playing with fire. And it might have been wrong for Kilion and Malon to marry Moabite women. Uh, God's people weren't meant to mix with the peoples around them who followed other gods. So it's possible they did some things wrong, and that explains some of their suffering. Maybe, on top of Naomi's grief, she lay awake at night wondering, is this all happening because of this thing we did? Because of some sin? Is this God's punishment? But even if Naomi thought that, the writer never says it's true. The writer never says that Naomi suffered because she sinned. That would be a nice, easy way to explain away Naomi's suffering, but it's not an answer the Bible gives us. See, God has not set up the world so that doing good thing A leads to getting good thing B, and doing bad thing A leads to bad thing B happening to us. A world where people suffer for being bad and people get blessing for being good. No, life isn't like that. It's messy. Suffering isn't dispensed according to what people deserve. That's what the book of Job shows us. An innocent man who did everything right and everything went wrong for him. Now, I don't know if Naomi was a female Job, but she could have been. Most of all, take Jesus, the innocent man who suffered most, though he deserved it least. And so we can't just say Naomi suffered because she sinned, and as long as we don't, we'll be fine. No, Naomi's story shows us what life can be like for God's people. What can happen to God's people, to us? That we could be Christians trusting in Jesus, seeking to live God's way, and our lives could unravel, fall apart. Do you feel both sides of that? It is a comforting thought that you can suffer terribly and still be a real Christian who's trying to do what's right. Suffering does not mean you're not. And it's a scary thought that you cannot protect yourself from suffering by being a Christian and doing what's right. Maybe you remember reading the story of Zoe and Josh Powell and their four kids. By all accounts, a lovely Christian family. And one Monday night in 2020, as they drove home along the A40, they smashed into a lorry driving head-on towards them, killing Zoe and three of their kids. Stories like that, they, it stuck with me. It might stick with us. In a way, we want to keep them at arm's length. 
But stories like that, stories like Naomi's, they make us ask, what would we do if our lives fell apart? If we suffered tragic loss with no sign of change? Because Christians in this world can. Now, of course, with Naomi, as we saw in the video, this isn't the end of her story, it's the beginning of it. We're just starting this book. And actually, bad as it is, this is as bad as it gets. With lots of stories, you'll know this, things for a long time get worse and worse and worse, and then at the very end, finally, things get better. But here, five verses in is as bad as it gets, and it only gets better from here. That's the story we're on. See, there are three big problems. First, Judah is without a king. Second, Naomi is without a family. And third, the country is without food. That first problem of the king, that's hinted at in the opening verses. Uh, it's a time of the judges, which was a time of crazy chaos in Israel. Society all but fell apart. And if you look back a page to the last verse of Judges, you can see the reason why. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit in the absence of a good king to lead God's people. And over the next few weeks, we'll see how God wonderfully brings about food and family and a king. How he turns emptiness into fullness and tragedy into joy in a way that Naomi never could have guessed what blessing God would bring to herself and to others from the wreckage of her life. Ultimately, how he would bring Jesus. Naomi never could have known at this point, but her suffering was not the end of her story. God had a plan she couldn't yet see, a bigger story that leads to Jesus. This week, I was listening to an older man um, who, when he was 17, was paralyzed in an accident. His life fell apart. And he was talking, as a Christian believer, of the need to place his suffering and our suffering in the light of the bigger story, a story of a world plunged into sin and death, and Jesus, the Son of God, who plunged himself into sin of death to rescue us from it, who lives forever so that trusting in him, we look forward to an eternity of life and joy. Eternity, it's hard, our head, it's hard to get our heads around forever, isn't it? Someone put it this way, try imagining a pile of sand that's a million miles long and a million miles wide and a million miles tall. And every billion years, a little bird comes and picks up a grain of sand from the pile in its beak and flies off. And when that pile of sand has disappeared, an eternity of life and joy for God's people has barely begun. If we're trusting in Jesus, whatever our suffering, that's our story. And we can place our suffering in that bigger story. But it doesn't take away our suffering now, does it? We can't just hit the fast forward button and skip over it. The story of Naomi's loss, it took, what, a minute to read? 
But did you notice how long it really lasted? This was Naomi's life for 10 years. 10 years. Imagine what tears and prayers and confusion and drawn out grief are packed into these verses. Now, of course, there's more to come. And 10 years are the blink of an eye next to eternity. But it's still 10 years. When C.S. Lewis lost his wife, he wrote about his grief with these words. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always recurs, round and round. Everything repeats. Am I going in circles? Or dare I hope I'm on a spiral? But if a spiral, am I going up or down? Will it be for always? The same leg is cut off time after time. Our suffering will not last forever. But when we're inside suffering, we can't always see that. Naomi must have thought this was it. What good could come after this? What good could God possibly bring from it? What good purpose could God possibly have in this tragedy? And for 10 years, she couldn't have known. We can't skip over suffering. Which again raises the question, what would we do if our lives fell apart? I guess we can't know until it happens. But here's what the book of Ruth says to us. Be prepared to give and receive kindness. See, those tendencies I find in myself, wanting to explain suffering away, wanting to skip over it, wanting to just feel better, they're really about self-protection, wanting to protect myself. And God rebukes me through this book because as it unfolds, we're going to see people who, when tragedy strikes, do not protect themselves, but give themselves to others in costly, loyal love. Love that echoes the costly, loyal love of the Lord, the love of the Lord Jesus, who didn't protect himself, but comes to suffering people and makes our burdens his burdens. See, Ruth will show us how God makes tragedy into the backdrop for beautiful displays of his kindness. His kindness that he shows through his people. So as we look at this book, lots of things we can be praying for our times. But I hope that God might grow us as people of kindness. That when suffering comes, God might use us to show his kindness to one another. And if life falls apart, that we might be open to receive the Lord's kindness in ways we don't expect. Uncomfortable sitting with suffering, but it is what these verses invite us to do. So time now to reflect and pray, and then the band is going to lead us in a song that helps us to bring our suffering before the Lord. So let's pray.